Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Carlos St. James to the show. Carlos St. James is a leader in the renewable energy industry and considered one of the founders of the sector in Latin America. He founded Argentina's Renewable Energy Industry Association and founded another organization that creates a bridge for investment capital and technology transfer from the Middle Eastern Gulf region into Latin America's energy sector. Carlos, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Carlos, excited to speak to you. Carlos, I'd like to kick things off with something interesting about you that people that know you might not know about you. Oh, so, um, well, I, I'm, I'm just back in the U.S. after having spent most of my life in Latin America in various countries. And um, I think one thing that people may not know is, is that besides being bilingual, right, Spanish, English, I'm, I'm bicultural. And, and I, I think that's a significant thing. And I suspect you, Raj, can, can relate to that as well, right? I, I live with one foot in Latin America and one foot, culturally speaking, in the U.S., and I, and I go back and forth. On any given day, I can become, live and breathe and think like a Latin. Or at the next moment, if I'm hanging with Americans or Europeans, I can act and think and breathe like an American. And it's, it's, a, it's a unique talent. Um, it, it's a lifetime of basically living different airs and understanding different ways of being and interpreting how life should be. And, and they are fairly different, right? How Latins view life and how Americans view it. I do think it's interesting and it really does resonate with me, me being bicultural or multicultural also. I tell people quite often that, you know, depending on what I'm thinking about is the language that I think about or used to think about in my head. So I, I, t I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what language do you predominantly speak to yourself in, in your mind? I go back and forth. It's, it's one of the things I think that often aggravates people is that I'm, I'm halfway through a sentence in English and I switch to Spanish or, or vice versa. I do that a lot. It's, it's as if the wall between the languages has broken down. And sometimes I myself mm -hmm. can't tell what, what language I'm speaking. It's, it, it can be disconcerting, I know. But, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm comfortable with either one. I think I speak both with a slight accent, right? My English, people look at me and say, that you sound a little funny, like you're not really American. And in Spanish, I speak with an Argentine. <laughs> Argentines have a very distinct accent. And, and my accent is Argentine, but it has a little twist there. Like, yeah, I'm a Yankee or a gringo or something. I'm not quite, there's something that's a little bit off. So I'm, I'm, and that's a thing that you and I discussed beforehand, right? No matter where I am, I'm a foreigner. I, I, I can relate very, very strongly to that. Well, Carlos, I know you're a member of many organizations. Why don't you share with the audience, you know, some of the organizations that you're, you're part of and what they stand for? Right. Well, I, right now I'm on the board of two organizations really that are, that are pretty active. One, the, the, the longer standing one with me is actually is LACOR, the Latin American and Caribbean Council on Renewable Energies. It's based out of Washington, D.C. I've been a board member since the beginning. Actually, I was its president for, for a few years back in the, back in the day. Um, and it's, the acronym is LACOR, right? And it's, if everyone here in the States often knows ACOR, right? The American Council on Renewable Energies out of Washington. LACOR is kind mm -hmm. of the son of ACOR. It was a brainchild of the board of ACOR saying, hey, in the same way that we're doing this in the U.S., we should do an ACOR for Latin America. And they, they came up with the idea of, of LACOR, et cetera. And then they started rounding up people from that part of the world, which included me. But that's where that comes from. And so that's one organization. LACOR is a nonprofit and it, it exists to promote renewable energies across Latin America and the Caribbean. It doesn't have a political agenda. It doesn't do lobbying. It just promotes that and facilitates business, educates, we do conferences and those kinds of things. 
The other organization I'm on the board of is TREA, the Texas Renewable Energy Industries Alliance, uh, which has been around in existence since 1984, I believe. It's 36 years, actually. It's a pretty longstanding wow. organization. I mean, just to have survived that long, I think, in itself is, is significant. But I was just invited to join the board at the beginning of this year. So I have almost, almost one year of being a board member there. And along the way, I kind of got roped in to be the treasurer because the treasurer had to step away because he changed jobs, that kind of thing. And I, I know how to do mm-hmm. this because I've done it uh, before. And and then the, um, the the executive director stepped down middle of the year after our big event. And they asked, hey, would you mind doing this, Carlos, as an interim basis, kind of to help you know keep the boat afloat while we figure out what to do? And so I'm kind of doing that too in, in, my, in my part-time. And, and I found a long time ago that I love institutional work. I consider it really important stuff. So can you give a little bit more background on TREA? Sure. TREA established in 1984. Some board members, actually, we just got the, the original list back in, back in the day. So 36 years. I'm tempted to say it was founded by hippies, but it wasn't. That was like post-hippies. Those were the Reagan years, as a matter of fact, right? But it, it, that's how early it was. Solar was still kind of like a dream. It was prohibitively expensive. Wind, I think, wasn't really even on the on the on the radar. Um, and and so it was a bunch of people who actually saw this opportunity and and got it going. And it's you know it's one of the things I love about American society, right? Uh, Alexis de Tocqueville in his book uh, Democracy in America back in the mid 1800s, he you know is a Frenchman who kind of walked through all of America and wrote this book about what he saw of the the, the American persona. And he actually noted that Americans are very inclined to gravitate and create these business associations or nonprofits or somehow come together to work on, on subjects or themes that are of great interest to them, right? And typically, it means a, a business associations, right? We're good at chambers of commerce or organizations like, like TREA that exist to promote a new mm-hmm. industry. Um, Americans do that extremely well. It's one of the things I love the most about, about this country, that people naturally come together and they work for the greater good. They, they just get it naturally that if you come together and work it, you can make the pie bigger and then everyone gets a piece of a bigger pie. It's something that Latins don't naturally do. And this, again, I, I know this because I live in those worlds too. Latins are a little mm-hmm. more, they, they're more inclined to keep their cards to, close to their chest because you don't want to give away anything because that could mean that someone's going to, quote, steal the business opportunity from you. And so getting Latins to do the same thing, to come together as a, as a trade association or business association of, of some kind is actually tougher work because everyone's eyeing them each other um, a little more suspiciously. It's a, you know, it's it's a tougher interesting gig in Latin America thing. than it is in the States, I guess, is the, is the summary. So one of the things I've always maintained is that the reason that the British could rule most of the world at one time was because of that collaboration, mm-hmm. the opportunity to see the bigger picture and work together towards it. Yeah, it's a great trade, really. I, I hope may America never lose that because I think it's a great, great hidden strength that no one really focuses on. But it's, but it's a very important one. Right. So you've got some really deep insight into Latin America and South America. Can you kind of give us a broad brush overview of what's going on down there from the renewable and sustainable standpoint? Oh, sure. Well, Latin America started the whole thing with it, it, it had and still has the cleanest uh, energy matrix of, of any other continent in the world, right? And it isn't, of course, because they're cleaner than anyone else in the same way that the Middle East isn't dirtier per se. Just they just everyone uses whatever natural resource you have at hand to make energy, right? In the Middle East, they use petroleum Mm -hmm. because that's what they have. In Latin America, that that means basically hydro. They have all these massive, massive rivers. Imagine a continent that has like four or five Mississippi rivers, right, going through them, uh, with incredible amounts of water going through jungles, going through mountains, going everywhere. And they've harnessed those in in just giant dams along the way 
And so a big part of the energy matrix or the power um, that, that gets that, that is made in, in Latin America comes from that, which naturally is, is, is green. Um, it's also a continent that has no shortage of, of sun, right? The Atacama Desert in Chile, Argentina, the Sonoran Desert in northern Mexico, which kind of extends up into California and, and New Mexico and Arizona. Um, solar radiation there is just spectacular. It's one of the reasons California, for example, has gotten so good at solar uh, as well, because the solar radiation is so good. And then the wind, there's some pockets like the Argentine Patagonia, the whole southern half of, of Argentina has spectacular wind resources. And ditto with areas mm-hmm. like in the Oaxaca region in Mexico, there's a peninsula off the coast of Colombia, which is getting developed now, the Guajira Peninsula, which juts into the Caribbean, has spectacular wind resources. So there's a lot of pockets there that actually can and will be developed, uh, often including because of, of national necessity. A lot of Latin American countries are dependent on foreign oil or have been in the past. And so for energy security purposes, it behooves them to start harnessing their own natural resources in the form of wind or solar or geothermal even, which is also a big one in, in the region. So. Which countries in Latin America would you say are leading the charge on this? Uh, that one's kind of easy. Brazil. Brazil is always the 800-pound gorilla. Uh, they have something like, on the wind side, they have about 12 gigawatts uh, up and running right now, which is kind of half of what Texas has, just to give it, put it in perspective. But it's way more than anybody mm-hmm. else does. And it's because Brazilian has this, this, this national policy of investing, and they, they kind of force anyone who wants to invest in the country, you have to like build locally. So if you want to sell wind turbines in Brazil, you have to manufacture mm-hmm. or at least assemble the things in Brazil, right? And so that generates a lot of uh, a lot of jobs, etc. They have a great development bank that finances everything in local currencies and reais, Brazilian reais. Um, but they've been extremely successful on the wind side. Um, and then it'd be followed by Mexico, which is the next biggest economy. Um, Chile, despite being a smaller economy, it's a small, thin little country right next to Argentina there on the on the Pacific side. Um, it's it's a really mm-hmm. good economy. They're investment grade. They have pretty transparent rules. Um, and so it's it always attracts a lot of investment as well, despite it being a small country. And then there's other countries like Argentina, which is kind of where I'm from, that also have enormous resources, but they never quite get it together and everything takes longer to do. And because they're not investment grade and for a bunch of other reasons, it's harder to get long-term investment into those countries, right? Because, you know, investing in or having some role in a wind farm, for example, means you're, you're taking on a 15, 20-year asset. And and as an investor or lender or something, you want to have a pretty good feel that during those next 15 to 20 years, you're not going to have some kind of weird meltdown like a devaluation, a nationalization, a revolution or something like that. And in Latin America, it's hard to promise that kind of stuff. The track record doesn't speak well for it. Well, with your insight into all these different technologies you mentioned, which ones have you particular interest in or which ones have you excited right now? Oh, well, here's an interesting little tidbit of, of trivia. In, about five years ago, on a global scale, this investment in solar photovoltaic surpassed wind, right? Solar uh, prices drop are dropping faster than wind, et cetera. But, but some years ago, you know, solar has kind of taken off. And it's, 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 I think at this point, for every dollar invested in wind energy, there's like $2 invested in solar. So solar clearly on a global scale is garnishing or, or is attracting more investment than, than wind. The exception, mm-hmm. the only exception is Latin America. Latin Americans, for some reason, actually have a, uh, a passion for wind energy. Um, and it's not that the wind resource in Latin America is better than solar or anything like that. They're just, they just naturally gravitate towards wind instead of solar. It's, it's a really curious thing that, that they have. It's slowly changing because, you know, you, you, it's hard to argue with 
with lower prices of solar panels versus wind turbines, etc. But um, but they habitually lean towards wind energy over over solar. It's a it's it's a curious anomaly in in the global investment picture of, of what's going on there. And there's a bunch of reasons that for it. Kind of like it's it's odd. It has to do with being an emerging market as well, the ability to access financing and capital, etc. It, it's um, Anyway, it's, it's my world. I think it's interesting. Maybe nobody else does, but I, I find these things really curious. That is that is interesting. I mean, I, I wonder from a, from a psychological standpoint, you know, what what drives them to uh, wind over solar? It must there must right. be something there. Well, no, actually, my own pet theory, kind of, it, I, I can't I can't back it up with hard data, but my my theory on this is as follows. If you want to, okay, emerging markets by definition have to import capital, right? They don't have their own capital. They need to import it, right? So they need to make themselves appealing to investors or lenders or whomever to, to bring in that capital for the wind farms, solar parks, etc. And it turns out that if you're looking to export wind turbines from, let's say, Denmark, right, if you're Vestas, or from the U.S., if you're GE, uh, or, or the German Siemens, etc., or, or the Spaniards, right, for Gamesa, Back in the day, mm-hmm. you can export and you can tap into your uh, export credit agency financing. So the Danes and the Germans and the Americans have Exim Bank, right, and OPEC. Uh, the Spaniards have theirs. So they can say, hey, we'll sell you our turbines into you, Latin American complicated country, and we'll throw in some financing because, because that's what they do. They're organized. They do it, right? And so it makes it easier to get financing for your project if you have a wind uh, project going on. Whereas... If you're looking to import or put together a solar project, those solar panels are typically more often than not coming from China. And mm. despite the fact that China has all the cash in the world sitting and they really could finance these things, they've chosen not to. And so uh, solar projects are harder to put together because you have less access to financing from whoever the exporter is, from their, their local export credit agency. And, and I think therein lies the answer. It's not that... Latins love wind more than they love salt. Wind than sun. It's it's that you have a greater chance of putting your deal together if you can actually tap into this this additional financing source from the export credit agencies that you really can't if you're if you're um, looking to put together a solar project. So we're following the money. Follow the money. Always follow the money. It answers everything. Always follow the <laughs> really. money, right? <laughs> yes. And Latins, of course, are are a, a pretty cynical bunch as well, as as differentiated from <laughs> Americans, right? Which which take you at your word. It's a beautiful thing that, that Americans are, are trusting people because that's how they've learned to do business and it's worked for them. Um, Latins always have mm-hmm. all this other subtext going on, right? And, and there's just yes doesn't mean yes and no doesn't mean no. There's You have to learn to read between the lines because certain Mexico is a great example of that, right? They're, they're very polite people. It's considered impolite to say no. And so there's all these shades mm-hmm. of yes, one of which means yes, you betcha. And there's another yes who means no way, never is that going to happen. And if you can learn to read the different yeses, you know where your answer is. And everyone's been polite and everyone's smiles and, and all that. Whereas Americans coming in from the cold, they've never been to Mexico before. They hear their counterparts say yes, and they interpret the yes as a literal yes, right? And, and that's, that's the beginning of heartache, right? Because that yes wasn't necessarily a yes. It sounds like doing business in India. Yeah, there's a lot of that too. There's a lot of similarities in what you just said. Yeah, emerging so, markets are just difficult. Like to... it's, it's harder to do business, and and so you just there's just more. You just have to maneuver that much more. You have to hustle harder. It's. Um, it I agree, and I have my own my whole theory on that, and we can discuss it yeah. offline. But I, I, absolutely, I, I I totally agree with you. One of the things I like to explore with my with my guests is you know that Simon Sinek. Why why are you so 
passionate about obviously you know what you're doing and you've been doing such a long time in the renewable and sustainable space what's driving you what's your why my why is I, I found my calling late in life. I was a banker first half of my professional life, and I love finance. I did international finance kind of thing and, and all that. It was good. I love being a banker. But then I came across renewable energies and actually started in, in the form of biofuels, which is actually how the renewable energy industry started in with biofuels in Latin America. I'm not sure. Maybe the same thing happened in the U.S., but but I know for a fact that that's what happened in, in, in Latin America. And to make a long story short, I just fell in love with the industry. I found this this is the thing that I'm meant to do, and I will do it until I, I drop dead. I don't I don't consider it even work. So I don't I never think in terms of oh someday I'm going to retire and go play golf in Arizona. Why would I do that if if what I do I truly love? I, I could I could do this all day long. I, I love what I do, and and behind that is I have two sons now. They're young men. They're great young men. The world's a better place because they exist. They are proud of the fact that their father works in the clean energy industry. Um, it, it, it's, uh, you know, they're, well, I don't know if they're millennials, whatever they are, they're, they're young men and they just do it. So it, it's a point of pride for me to think that I'm doing whatever I do, my little grain of salt, because I, I know I'm not really changing anything, but at least I'm pushing in the right, what I consider to be the right direction. And I'm helping make mm -hmm. a better world for that next generation and, and the next one beyond. Because I do believe that climate change is real. I think there's all kinds of things that are happening that are going to need to get addressed with increasing levels of urgency. And, and I want to be on, on that team the sooner the better. And the more I can do, the more I can raise the, wave the flag and make noise so that more people kind of push in that same direction is the thing that I do. And that is kind of why I, I spend a lot of time doing institutional work because it, it gives you a, a slightly bigger megaphone. It's not just me, Carlos. It's it's me, Carlos, as representative of the board of LACOR, who kind of represents the industry. And so it gives me a bigger voice and allows me to speak at more conferences and just spread the gospel to uh, to more and more places, which is part of the idea so behind how that other institution you mentioned that that was uh, it was another nonprofit I created that was meant to to bring uh, Middle Eastern capital into emerging markets or Latin America to invest in renewable energies. It was a failed experiment. I, I have those every so often, but it was a noble experiment. <laughs> we all do. We all do. <laughs> yeah. So how old are your sons? 27 and 25. So they are millennials, I think. Are they? Yeah, they're, they're young. They see the world differently, man. They, um, they don't mince words and, uh, and God bless them for it, man. They're, they're, it's, it's, uh, anyway, I, I, I'm a, I'm a broad father, right? I love listening to these guys and seeing how they come up with their ideas and their opinions and how they evolve over time and stuff. Have they expressed any interest in working in the industry too? Well, as a matter of fact, the oldest one actually works in Austin here at Austin Energy. Um, and not only that, he works in their sustainability department. So I kind of have a little chip off the old block there. I, I try well, and give him a space though. I don't, don't want to, yeah, I don't want to like, I don't want to do that. I would love bad. to talk to him. It would be the first father-son team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's at that stage yet, but, uh, but maybe someday. I, I, I would like nothing more. Yeah. You know, it, it's so interesting because, you know, as I interview more and more individuals and I, and I ask the why behind it, so many of them are coming back and saying, I want to leave the world better for my children. And and I feel like it's, you know, it's a running tone. And as we become parents and we, we realize, you know, what we want to do from a career standpoint and how we can make impact, both from a legacy perspective and our children, I, th I think that, I think it drives a lot of us in the same direction. So appreciate you for sharing that. My pleasure. So I like to ask my guests, what advice would you have for the audience regarding, it can be regarding the industry or anything in general? Ooh, um, 
Well, I don't know. You know, one thing as I get older, um, I, I I think I'm acquiring it. I'm, I'm only at the beginning of acquiring wisdom. I, I'm a very slow learner. And and one thing I think that I have learned along the lines is that I'm really in no position to give advice. I've made no shortage of mistakes in my life along the way of, of every kind, professional, money-wise, personal, you name it, right? I've if, if it's there, I've managed to screw it up along the way. Fortunately, I think I've had more successes than than failures, right? But so I, I've lived, I've I've drunk deeply of the cup of life, but I'm not sure that I'm qualified to give anyone advice. Really, I, I think everyone has to find their own way and and find their own their own path along the way. I found mine. I, I really, it's 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 a calling of sorts of just pushing anything that that takes us in the direction of a cleaner world and less contamination, less pollution, less melting of icebergs, uh, those kinds of things. I urge everyone to go in that direction, but that's that's. That's it's something that that struck me and it, it it hit my heartstrings. Doesn't mean that it is for everyone, right? So, sorry, I don't know if I have a, a particularly good answer there as, as far as advice. I, I think everyone in the end has to find their own way. And and the important thing here's a little piece of advice is actually to look. That's important because you can spend an entire hmm. life, certainly in America, right, where we have the shopping culture. You can spend your whole life just going to the mall and just just flittering through life and not really ever thinking deeply about anything. And Lord knows I've done that too in, in my time. Um, but at some point, you have to start looking in and saying, well, what what is going on here? What am I doing here? You know, you know if, if you'd allow me, you mentioned you've experimented a lot. And I think that if you, you know, kind of read between the lines there, but I take the liberty to do so, is that you've experimented a lot and learned a lot. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about, you know, what drove you to experiment so much? I think it ties back to that thing you and I were talking beforehand about this rootlessness, right? I, I think I, I seem to come from this gypsy family that we keep moving. Every generation in my family is born in a different country, right? So I, I think I come from a people that that are always searching, looking for a new opportunity, looking for something else. And and fortunately, I seem to come from a tribe that that is willing to take on risk, right? It's It's no easy thing to move and emigrate to a new country where you don't know what the hell is being said. You don't understand the rules of engagement. You don't know how to get on the bus or pay for it. Like nothing. You just do not understand how this ex-new society works. And every generation in my family, for the last few generations, and even it, I did it to my sons too. They were born in Mexico. Um, they, they have to go through that too. And there's a, there's a broadening of the mind that, that comes with that. When you see how other people live, and, you know, we Americans are thinking like, hey, um, life should be the way we say it. The Lord knows as we as, as empire think that we should export our model to everyone else, right? Um, and mm-hmm. I, having been on the other side of that, I can tell you like, no, please, America is an empire. You, we got to do what we got to do. I understand that. But don't think that just because our model has been successful that it should be exportable because it isn't. Um, and, and I see that constantly where Latin America has this love-hate relationship with, uh, with the U.S. because... Mm-hmm. Um, because every once in a while the U.S. turns around and says, oh, we forgot about you guys in Latin America. We're going to pay attention to you now. And then suddenly in La- everyone in Latin America starts shivering, saying, uh-oh, here comes Uncle Sam. They're going to tell us what to do again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, and then they comes in a wave, like you know, one president does it for three years, and then the wave passes, and everyone like says, okay, they're, they're going to forget us for a little while again, which is good and bad, right? Until a couple presidents later, someone says, hey, you guys in Latin America, we forgot about you. We're going to pay attention mm-hmm. again. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Um, and I think Latin America's do, by the way, after this president, I bench whoever the next president is, is probably going to do one of those, Hey, Latin America, we're going to, we're going to love you again. Um, and, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's going to be another thing. 
You know, another word I just picked up on is risk. Do you feel like you have a higher tolerance for risk or ambiguity? Yeah, actually, I I, uh, I do. Actually, when I was younger. Now, as I'm getting older, I think I'm, I'm getting a little more conservative. Um, but but I, yeah, I started businesses that like if someone proposed them to me now, I'd look at you. So are you crazy? There's no way I would do that. And yet I, I have done them. I've done I've started like transportation companies without knowing a single thing about transportation. In, in, in a foreign country, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. I'm not from Mexico or anything. And yet I moved to Mexico literally to start this transportation business, not knowing anything about it. And because I'm luckier than I am smart, <laughs> so you got to acknowledge that, mm-hmm. it actually proved to be successful. But but if someone proposed to me that same thing nowadays, I'd say, get real, man. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that crazy. But I have been crazy in the past. And it's fun. It certainly makes for an interesting life. Jeez, man, there, there comes all kinds of stories out of, out of that little adventure. Well, then I'm going to tease out experiment more and risk more as the advice to the audience. Yeah, and then I, that, I, yeah, I think and, so. I, I wonder, let's see again, I wonder if, if I would give advice when I'm saying, hey, take more risk. I, I don't know. It may be comfortable <laughs> for me to say, but for others, it may not be their place or the right time in life too, which is, which is also, I think, critical. You know, it, it's the timing is everything. Well, at least they'll have good stories, right? Yeah. And there's value in that. <laughs> I've, uh, I, I, I've had I, some massive blow-ups and screw-ups that in the end, you survive. And this is, oh, this is another good thing I've learned as I, as I get older. I'm, I'm in my 50s. Um, is that as you get older, you care less, right? I've, I've been through all kinds of things. Good things, terrible things, all, all kinds of just everything, right? And I'm still standing. And so the lesson learned now that I'm learning now is it's going to be really hard to kill me. I've been through some terrible things and, and moments in my life, and I'm still standing. And it, it takes a lot of the fear away. You know, when you're younger, you worry about what people think and say and do and all this other stuff. Like you're, you're very image conscious. And as you get older, you're saying, ah, the hell with that, man. You just, you, you're more likely to say what you actually think and, um, and mm-hmm. do. And, and, and that comes, I think, because you, you kind of lose this fear and saying, you know what? I've been kicked in the, in the backside so many times and I'm still here that I can take it. Mm-hmm. No, matter, no matter what might happen, I've learned that I can survive it. Well, I'm glad you're still here, and I appreciate it's a nice you. Feeling. <laughs> is is there anything else you'd like to share before we leave? Oh, uh, I, I've shared uh, probably more than I should have already. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carlos, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Raj, thank you so much. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I, I didn't know it would kind of go in this in this direction, but but I'm I'm glad it did, and uh, I I hope it proves interesting to uh, to somebody out there. Thank you so much, Carlos. Take care, good man. Bye-bye.